Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. And I'm Tara Barrett. Well, we're back with another episode today, and uh, today our focus is going to be on the stories and places of Bay Roberts. Bay Roberts is a community that we've been doing some work with for the last couple of years, uh, and this year we have some funding uh, to do uh, another Virtual Museums of Canada project. And Tara, you were working on the last Virtual Museums of Canada project, which was Main Street uh, of Windsor. Anyone who has listened to the show has probably heard lots of audio <laughs> from uh, from Main Street in Windsor. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Virtual Museums museums project and and what it is i guess the virtual museums project they've got two different types of projects and the project that we're currently working on is a collective or a community memories project so basically what we do is we take we work with a community to get their stories online so in this case we're working with bay roberts and what we'll do is we'll have a little introduction to what the project's about in this case bay roberts and those stories that aren't necessarily always told we're looking at kind of those uh lesser known stories um, and we're going to put those up online, and you'll be able to go into the homepage and then click through 15 different stories about different places in Bay Roberts. Yeah, so I think the idea is we're going to have uh, one page per site or story, and, and there will be historic photographs and, and hopefully an audio clip. And, yeah, focusing on some of those maybe lesser-known places. They're all kind of tied to places, places that might still exist or places that have a, kind of an informal character. Uh, we want to kind of expand what people think of when they think about heritage sites. Uh, the Bay Roberts Cable Station in Bay Roberts is very well known. It's a National Historic Site. It was designated by uh, Heritage NL as well. It's the home of their town council and their museum and archives. They did a project with the Virtual Museums of Canada a number of years ago. Um, and so that, that piece is kind of covered, we, we think. That, that piece of, of Bay Roberts history is done. Uh, Bay Roberts has a number of different uh, communities. It's a, it's a number of communities that were amalgamated together. And so I think what we're going to be doing is breaking the community up into neighborhoods. So we might be doing like Bay Roberts East, which is like Juggler's Cove and, and, and Mercer's Cove, uh, that kind of area. Uh, and then Bay Roberts Central, Country Road, uh, Coley's Point. Uh, we're going to hear some stories from Coley's Point later on in the show today. And then um, and then the last is uh, Butlerville, Shearstown, which I think sometimes kind of feels almost like a separate community and has a very different history, a lot of farming uh, history there. And we, we want to get people to, uh, I guess, Kind of nominate places that they that they think of as as having heritage meaning in in Bay Roberts, and we've come up we've come up with a couple of things. Uh, yeah, we have quite well a couple of things. We have quite a big list actually. Yeah, I guess it's going to be interesting trying to narrow those down. Like one of the ones that we've talked about a fair bit is the the chocolate factory. Yeah, um, we I, we ha- we hopefully have a few interviews lined up with a couple of ladies who worked in the in the chocolate factory in Bay Roberts, which should be quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating story that a lot of people don't know much about. Even in the written kind of historical records, there's there's not a lot on that chocolate factory. It was only open for a few years. It was one of these schemes that uh, under the Smallwood uh, administration where they brought these people in from other places to set up industries in, in Newfoundland. And the, the Adlers um, had come from England, uh, had shut down their shop in London, had, had set up a shop in, in Bay Roberts and produced chocolate and candies. And they were opening a 
a, a it's chip, a chip factory. A chip factory, which we don't That's know anything about. That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, like, I love that they, they set up the chocolate factory and it wasn't going super well, but they thought, oh, let's open up a chip, fa- chip factory as well. Yeah. So we'll, we'll hopefully be doing some interviews with them, with uh, people who, who did work there. They, they hired mostly young women from the community. So we're, we're hoping to track down. We've got two, uh, women's names so far. And, uh, one of them at least has said that she's willing to, to sit down and do an interview with us. So if you know anyone who worked in the chocolate factory, if you have memories of, Adler's chocolates um, back in the late 50s, early 60s. You know, let us know. We would love to hear your stories. I, I, I kind of feel the Adler's chocolate. That's going to be a whole uh, yeah. a whole episode unto unto itself. Um, I we do have a couple of clips. So today we want to we want to focus on Bay Roberts and hearing some Bay Roberts stories, and just to get people thinking a little bit outside the box about what heritage spaces might be in the community. I, I want to play something from Cable Avenue. Uh, we, we mentioned that um, the the building there was designated. The street is a is a heritage district, um, and certainly I think a lot of the buildings get. Uh, recognized as having heritage value. Um, this is an interview that folklorist Lisa Wilson did a number of years ago when we were working on our Bay Roberts District project. Uh, and she interviewed uh, two ladies who, who've, uh, whose memories of the street are tied to the verandas on the houses. And Cable Avenue, if you haven't been on Cable Avenue in Bay Roberts, it's a little bit different from a lot of kind of rural uh, community architecture. The street was a planned street. It was uh, built in the 1920s. Many of the houses are duplexes uh, with these fabulous porches on the front, these verandas. It's kind of a Dutch colonial revival style, not not terribly common in in much of Newfoundland. Um, but yeah, it is it is kind of has a, a unique character. So so listen in on the verandas of Cable Avenue. Yeah, so often when I think of A. Roberts, it's, it's the... Uh the verandas that were such a again another huge component yeah. of life there because no matter what the weather was like in thunderstorms we would be all out no yeah. matter what the weather was you would be out yeah. all the time mm. and uh, it extended your outside time a fair bit and it extended your time with other people I guess that's right outside. it was like a giant camping thing really it's what it felt like you're almost yeah. in a little park or something that's right because yeah. we'd be allowed to stay out later as long as we stayed on the veranda like, yes. and we'd sit there and we'd play like Ramoli or we'd have a, a, an old card table yeah. from our house I know that we used to have uh, sitting down and we'd play games of Ramoli or cards or whatever or as long we as we were never little, left. Even, even Simon said or anything like you could do anything because the verandas were long mm. enough anyway yeah that's right yeah, so you could you could play anything, but we did play all the time, which is yeah. We were out from when our eyes opened in the morning until we got called in or the light went on, which <laughs> I like that they mentioned the light turning on. That's something that comes up in a, a lot of interviews that I've done on children's games and playing outside. They'll often say, once the light came on, that was. Equivalent to, uh, you know, your mom calling out to you to bring your home. You, or you'd be in trouble. If oh, you, yeah. <laughs> if the light came on and you weren't <laughs> home, you'd be in trouble. So we're interested in some of those more informal spaces, spaces like verandas or places where children played. If you have a memory like that from Bay Roberts, let us know. We'd, we'd love to hear. Uh, the next little bit that we have of audio, which will take up the majority of the, the show today, is, is an interview that was done a couple of years ago as part of the Folklore Field School out at the SUF Lodge in Bay Roberts. You went out and, and talked to the students uh, out there? Yeah. 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 Uh, and this was a, a kind of a stage interview that, that we had done with two of my favorite Bay Roberts storytellers, Sandra Roach and 
and Margaret Iad, um, talking about their experiences growing up in Coley's Point and in Bay Roberts Central. Good morning. Good morning. So welcome to uh, all our new folklore students here. Uh, the, the purpose of this is just kind of to give a little bit of an introduction to interviewing and talking a little bit about some Bay Roberts memories. So I want to start with you, Margaret, because we were just talking earlier, and, and you were saying you first came here when you were about 12 years old. Is that right? Mm-hmm. How did you end up in, in Bay Roberts? <laughs> Good God. <laughs> I, um, well, I was actually born on the American naval base, what well, came to be the American naval base in Argentia. And um, my my father and my grandfather both worked with uh, the railway, with the CN Railway. And so um, my grandfather, I was just talking to Dale and telling him how my grandfather traveled a lot over the province. But uh, my father uh, lived and worked on the base. And then he, when as a young man, he had lived in Bay Roberts because my grandfather was station agent here in Bay Roberts for a while in, as part of his travels. So he really liked Bay Roberts. And when it came time to make a move, he decided to move here to Bay Roberts. So that's how I ended up in Bay Roberts. So you came about 12 years of age. Mm. And so around what year was that? I know that's an ungentlemanly question. <laughs> yes, that's a horrible question. <laughs> I think that was, when would that have been? Well, I was born <laughs> in 1944, so if I was 12, it would have been about 1956. Yeah, mm. so you were born in another country. You were born in... I was born a Newfoundlander. I am a Newfoundlander. <laughs> yeah. And that's a point of distinction for many Newfoundlanders, that you were not born in Canada. No, I wasn't at all. Yeah. I'm a Newfoundlander. <laughs> so when you came here, you were a girl. Where did you go to school? Uh, the Amalgamated. And I, I, you know Mr. Sparks. The old Amalgamated. Yes. Mr. Sparks was there. And Mr. Uh, Bob Pepper, actually. So, so where was the old amalgamated? School? The old amalgamated, just right up behind here, right next to the Helping Hand, between this building and the Helping Hand. Yeah, that's where it was located. Okay, and how many rooms were in that school then? How many classes? Uh, honestly, I don't remember, but I remember that we had um, it. School then only went to grade eleven. And in our classroom, um, I think we had really large class, I think. There were probably close to 40 in, in my graduating class. And uh, I, we had an outstanding class in terms of academic achievement. Like um, one person who was in the class was um, Albert French. Who won a Governor General's medal? I'm just, you know, talking about something I remember. And Barbara Crosby was another person who won um, scholarships. And uh, Wilson Russell, who, you know, D.B. Russell, the printing shop? Yes. Wilson is his son. 
and he he has been working in Vancouver for a number of years. Again, outstanding scientist. And Reg Kingsley from down on Church Hill in uh, Florence Carey. You know, a lot of people who graduated school with me were really went on to become outstanding people. And you think about this little teeny, teeny, tiny community. But mm. they did and made have made contribu- contributions all over the world. So, Sandra, where did you grow up? I grew up in Coley's Point. Yeah. On the other side of the Klondike Causeway. Yeah. Born there, lived there, married, built a house there, and I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> so now I should get I should get the family histories right. You were an Abbot yeah. before before you were an Ayat, and, and I was a Daw. A Daw. And Daw is a very common yeah. name. There's a lot still of lots Daws, of Daws. Especially Colby's Point and, of course, Portigrave. Yeah. And a very prominent name yeah. in, yeah. like, in a lot of areas in the town. Yeah. So now, what was, it, what was it like growing up as a girl in Colby's Point? I have great memories of spending a lot of time with five or six people for almost every day of my life. Um, summertime, we... Couldn't wait for Dad to build a swing, a wooden swing, a new one. Usually we got one every year. We couldn't wait for the men to cut some of the hay as summer went on. We'd usually spend a lot of time up on fences jumping into the hay piles, which they didn't like. (laughs) Um, We played all kinds of games outside, May I and Simon Says and all the... Just, we were never, ever bored. Yeah. That's what I remember. Never bored and never wanted to go home. So what street did you grow up on? Lodge Lane. Lodge Lane. Yeah. I was on the main street, the front road of Coley's Point, North Road. And then my family all live up Lodge Lane. So I'm right at the top of Lodge Lane. So all my family built houses. As we got old enough, I was the last one to get a piece of land. So I had the last piece <laughs> of the upper part of Lodge Lane, which is a corner and you talked about haying, making yeah. hay. Where would people where would people cut hay over in Coley's Point? In all the gardens. Yeah. Because they all had cattle. They all had vegetable gardens. And you could go almost anywhere along Coley's Point, and there was a big garden full of hay. So we usually stayed close to home, of course, where we knew we were allowed to jump in the hay. So, and in wintertime, I remember, too, right in front of our house was a big pond, right in front of our house. So we didn't even have to go very far to skate. Couldn't wait for the pond to freeze over. Um, I came home from school. I threw my books in the porch, put on my skates, and came right to went right to the pond. And I didn't come in until That's I was calling for supper. The ducks are now. The ducks are there now. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, they're by uh, the. Yeah. 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 I remember when the pavement went in. <laughs> Was that a big deal? Oh my gosh! Was it ever? <laughs> No more potholes. We got to ride around. We couldn't wait for it to cool off so we could ride our bikes on the <laughs> <laughs> And where did you go to school? Uh, we had an old, there was an old school in Coley's Point, mm-hmm. uh, Church of England school, which later became the church hall and now is torn down. But I went to school at, a, at uh, there was three classrooms from kindergarten to eleven. And once we reached grade seven, the school closed, so I moved to Amalgamated. So okay. I spent two years at Amalgamated. They didn't go to 11. When, by the time I reached Amalgamated, it only went to, to grade eight. 
Okay, and we're where did and then we went to Ascension. Oh, okay, yes, Ascension was over nine, by then. ten, and eleven. Mm-hmm. There was right. twelve, yeah. of course. Yeah. So now, growing up, did you did you consider yourself to be from Bay Roberts, or were you from from Coley's Point? Oh my God, no. <laughs> <laughs> so where were I you? I knew where Bay Roberts was, <laughs> crossed the water, but you know we only went there uh, to shop. Uh, they had several Water Street stores, little. Uh, gift stores and specialty stores, mm-hmm. which we didn't have in Coley's Point. All we had was a little uh, corner store where we got picked up milk and cream and you know biscuits and tea and that kind of stuff. But I remember being taken to Bay Roberts to shop for shoes and some new clothes. And that Did you go deal. to the library in Bay Roberts? No, no. Now, is the library? Was the library where the library is now, or was no. it a different? It's, it was in a little house there on the corner of. Central, right across from Kelly's Landing. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Near Crossroad. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I, oh, I love that library. Is that building still there? Yes, yes the building is still there, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that it's been, you know, the interior is renovated, but it's not used as a library. It's privately owned now. Hmm. So that was a favorite place of yours as a yeah, kid. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Was it, were, there, were there shops that you remembered along the... Oh, all the same ones. Oh. The same, I mean, Did everybody you... went to those. Saunders yeah. store, the Midtown store, John Parsons. They were Did right along have... the waterfront. As girls, did you have a favorite store? No, I liked them all. <laughs> <laughs> You're a shopper. That was Sometimes we go to Carboneer. Yeah. Go to the big store. <laughs> um, well, occasionally we went on the Fleet Line bus to St. John's. John's. Okay. And was that that a, was a huge deal. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. where would the bus go in, in, in St. John's? Where would it end? Uh, on George Street. Yeah. Just it was right on George Street, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And Sandra, did you, we were talking about this the other day. Did you go on the feet bomb bus to university? Um, only if I didn't have a ride, but yeah. very rarely. We used to go on the fleet line bus to university. And... Um, it was really an adventure. Like uh, every, we'd all go, all the kids from, you know, and I can't want to say kids, all the young people from around the bay would go in together on the fleet line bus, and we'd stop there at Fury's and Holy Road, have a snack, and then we'd go, like you said, and they'd let us off down on George Street, and then we had to get, you know, to wherever we lived in town. But it was really a big deal. <laughs> yeah, and, and fun. Yeah. I want to I want to change direction because I know we we have limited time today, mm-hmm. and because we have a, a bunch of folklore students, I wanted to ask you both about local folklore. I want to start with you. Mm-hmm. They heard a little bit the other day about Drummer's Rock. Oh, okay. So can you tell me first of all where did you learn the story of Drummer's Rock from? My mother-in-law grew up in the East End of Bay, of Bay Roberts. Her name was Emmy Roach. She was a crane at the time, Emmy Crane, and she married a roach and, of course, moved to Coley's Point. When she was a young girl, she was told that uh, many times, well, she used to see them, of course, many times there were warships anchored in Bay Roberts Harbor, man-of-war ships they were called. And on board, they always carried a young boy called the drummer boy, and he would drum them to meals, to wake-up calls and to meals in the morning or during the day. If there was any enemy approaching, he would drum to get the soldiers on deck. 
And apparently, he decided that he didn't want to be on the ship anymore. So sometime in the evening, he jumped ship. Now, whether he swam or he had a small boat, I don't know, but it wasn't far from the boat to shore. So apparently, he swam or got ashore and was planning on starting a new life, I guess, here. He didn't want to stay on the ship. Well, of course, the soldiers found out that he was gone and came after him. And apparently, the soldier that caught him whipped him to death with a cat of nine tails. Now, do you know what that is? I've got one here, actually. I've got one that we use on the trail. Um, so it's a, it's a whip it's with a nine whip. Yeah, I'll, get it. I'll show it to you afterwards. <laughs> cat of nine tails. Um, so it, he, he hid behind a large rock. That's what she was told. And that was where he met his fate. So they would hear his drum playing long after he was gone. So he, they were always told, don't go near Drummer's Rock because you will, you know, th- this is where this boy was killed. So they would hear, sometimes during the nighttime, they would hear his drum playing. Yeah. So we use it then in the, we use it, of course, in the walk because it's, to me, it's a, it's a true story. She told me it was, she believed it when she was young and, there you go. And there's there's a real tradition here of, uh, of telling those kinds of stories. Yes. Did you hear those types of stories growing up in Coley's Point? Not a lot. No, no. Was that more of a no. Bay Roberts? That was more of a Bay Roberts thing. <laughs> it was more yeah. Irish over yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't hear a lot. So I got older and got involved with everything, you know, with the cultural foundation. Then I started pursuing some of the stories. But uh, no, that wasn't something that I was uh, familiar with mm. at all. Yeah. Now, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the fairies. We were having a discussion earlier today. So when you, you were an educator, yes. and, and you had a project where you got students to collect to stories. To collect stories, can yes. You, can you explain a little bit about that, how that project worked? Well, what I did, uh, there was a, a course in school at that time, I think it was called Cultural Heritage or something. So I asked the students to bring me, you know, stories from their communities. Like I was teaching at Ascension Collegiate. So Ascension Collegiate is a feeder school for a lot of towns in the area. Anyway, they brought me in stories, and a lot of them I looked at them and thought, oh my God, these are stories that you hear everywhere, right? They're just, they're not genuine (laughs) But the stories that really interested me were fairy stories because these seemed to ring true to told, you know, to the area and to what people did in the area and they seemed real. So what I did, I got the, the stories together and claimed these are the, this was a long time ago before, you know, like now it's so easy just to type up things and put them in and so on. But it was sort of hard to do that. But I collected them together and put them in a little booklet and uh, into the fairies, it's called. Because um, what they say, they, they say, like our fairies are not nice. <laughs> <laughs> they are not nice at all. Like if a, you know, if a fairy touched you, you you could die. Or uh, one of my favorite ones that somebody told me was about a changeling. How the fairy took the person and put 
another person in their place. And um, what is another really interesting one? Anyway, you know, they were really, really interesting. And uh, you you could hear, like, the local... uh, There's another one about up there on uh, Birch Hills. Yes. And so, you know, from all over the area, I I have... I think I I have given you a copy of that collection, haven't I? Because, you know, I'm done to repeat all of them. But they were really and truly interesting because they seemed genuine. So what, what places around here were more fairy haunted than others? I'd say Upper Island Cove is the home of the fairies. Yeah. <laughs> and um, where else? I, I, the, the place I think about a lot, and, and Bay Roberts East. Yes. We have a Clovis Point Ferry. Oh, do you have a Clovis? I don't know that story. Just remembered when we used it in the haunting, in our haunted walk. Uh, a friend of mine, actually, when she was about two or three years old, they, her and her, her, her friend were in their grand, her grandmother's yard. And this was in Coley's Point, just up uh, well, on Bearneed Road going into what we call Beaver Pond. They were in a a closed-in garden with a gate. They weren't very old, so they were kept inside. And apparently somebody, which later on, of course, they realized it was a fairy, somebody came to them, opened up the gate, led them down what she called the sled path that they used to go to Beaver Pond, and guided the children down to Beaver Pond, just kept them for like an hour or so, and, unlike Margaret saying they're all evil, brought them back. Mm. And she, when they, they were, the family was frantic, frantic looking for these two children. They came back, they just appeared back in the yard. They didn't know where they were, but she remembered telling her mother, or the older one, remembered telling the grandmother that the fairy had on brown pants and a yellow shirt. And just they, they, she was just nice to them. They, she didn't harm them. But ever since that, this girl, this friend of mine, collects fairies. She collected fairies over the years, and apparently she found one that looks similar to this one that was in the story. So it's, that was actually a fairy affected a girl that I know in Coley's Point. And yeah. you, you know, like you too, you you know, the stories that you tell are of the good people, are of good fairies, right? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. But all the, you know, the stories that the students brought me, I would say, well, I can't remember now because it was a long time ago, but a very, very large percentage of them, the fairies were not. Nice. Now you have a group of worried students here. <laughs> so what can they do to keep safe? Oh, wow. They have to carry bread yes. in your pocket. You have to turn your coats inside out. And don't wear red. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you better make sure Margaret gets home safe. <laughs> So was Margaret wearing red there? <laughs> Margaret was all dressed in red <laughs> on that day. Uh, but the fairies did not get her. She's still, uh, she's still, still with, with us. us. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, and I'm hoping she'll be able to tell us some stories about the Bay Roberts uh, railway station. As she mentioned there, her father and her grandfather were both uh, station masters there. And a lot of her, uh, I think, aunts and uncles were born in the station there as well. If you have any memories of the Bay Roberts Railway Station or any significant places in Bay Roberts, you can send us an email at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at HFNLCA. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening.